national expose showed uh, malicious lies that uh, were presented. You are uh, suing, but you uh, have not had that go through the court yet. Well, and frankly, I wish that the people that had made those allegations had gone to the court. They didn't. It was a, a, a midnight hit in the media in the same manner that uh, this attack happened in the media to show that they were factually impossible. Uh, and uh, I, I would uh, say that it's pretty clear that most people in Ontario see it that way. That's the way, that's the reaction I've been getting Could in coffee shops. Could this become an election about your innocence? Okay, so thank you very much for the questions and until uh, next time. Thank you. Without a paddle, I'm Arlene Bynan. I'm Jamie Ellerton, and this is By a Dog, the podcast. Jamie, it's perfect. We know what is going on here. We could have called it WTF. This is truly incredible, the turn of events that has happened so quickly. Patrick Brown is out of the race. So many questions and so many swirling fronts. What does he say, Jamie? He couldn't shoot in two nets at the same time. I'm sorry. He's got about five nets on the go here. Yeah, this is a uh, three-wing circus that appears to have quadrupled with all the f- fires that he's battling at this point. It, uh, it it makes you wonder what, in addition to the public relations campaign, which is a tactic you can understand, uh, when he came out aggressively starting to clear his name, continuing to deny the initial uh, allegations that CTV reported, but with all the other stuff that has since come to light and that is swirling, he's uh, essentially fighting for his professional career and reputation. He is, and it happened so suddenly. I mean, I was blinking on the Twitter feed when I read it. I'm sure everybody else, all the other people who are obsessed with this race in the way we all are politically, I couldn't believe it because it was a weekend we were hearing all the stuff, weren't we? He was in the lead. He was confident, cheering crowds, and you had to keep reminding yourself what was still out there and that he said he'd cleared his name. You had to remind yourself there were still many more questions as we've been talking about here on our podcast. And then there it's true. First, there's a denial and then bang. You know, I've been looking at politics for some time. So if you, anybody, you know, nobody does this if they do not feel they absolutely had to. I know he says it's his family, but he's had a couple of stories come out and they're not easy ones for him. Absolutely. In addition to the CTV allegations story, uh, we should tell our listeners he has indeed now filed a libel notice, but has not yet made the official statement a claim that essentially flushes out his arguments uh, for those legal proceedings. He is now the subject, uh, confirmed today, uh, the subject of an integrity commissioner investigation relating to unreported, uh, alleged unreported uh, income. Uh, Of course, we all saw the story last week from MPP Randy Hillier when he tabled and uh, gave evidence as to why he was calling for an investigation. And so when Patrick Brown came out swinging and calling for due process, it sounds uh, like Randy Hillier is giving him due process on uh, on a different front. And uh, as our guest Mm -hmm. today will talk about. Uh, there are still a, a ton of controversy over the way that Patrick Brown managed and led the party's affairs with riding nominations, two of which have officially been reopened by leader Vic Fideli. But Arlene, our guest today is going to talk about another one. What uh, what can you tell our listeners about that? Absolutely. I mean, here we're going to find somebody who was on the trail of the story that broke today in the Toronto Star, on the trail of it, 
some time ago and has a lot of the additional tone and the reporting that got it to where we are today. I would like to welcome Christopher Reynolds joining us here on Buy a Dog. He's a reporter at QP Briefing. Hi, Christopher. Thank you for being here. Hello. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. I want to ask you, first of all, how do you feel, Toronto Star, breaking the story that you broke some time ago? <laughs> you know, I'm just glad the word is out there. Uh, they did the work and they deserve uh, the credit for breaking the news on this latest development in the, the Hamilton West and Castor Dundas case. So to unpack that for our listeners, Chris, uh, for yeah. those who may not know, the Hamilton West and Castor nomination took place back in May, but you first reported in QP briefing back in August of 2017 that there was a criminal investigation from by the Hamilton police. Uh, to, what can you tell us about that? That's right. So while there were rumblings of controversy over this May 7 nomination meeting in a Hamilton area riding, uh, it really first came to light uh, via one of the unsuccessful nomination candidates that there was a police probe going on into allegations of fraud and forgery and ballot box stuffing at this meeting. Um, this was, This is also a meeting that spawned two lawsuits, uh, both of which have been dropped, presumably after some healthy settlements were doled out by the party, but that is unconfirmed. Uh, while the fraud investigation is ongoing, it has been ongoing since a criminal since a complaint was filed to police Hamilton police back in late May. All right. So the story you broke was that there were ballot box stuffing, and then here we have the Toronto Star moving this forward. They have quotes here. Were you aware? of Patrick Brown's quotations that we're getting here from the star? I was not aware. No, I was not aware at all. However, there were allegations in both of the the lawsuits from unsuccessful, officially unsuccessful nomination candidates that implicated Patrick Brown. The allegations did anyway, rather than hard evidence necessarily. So I was certainly aware that he had been uh, circled as being involved uh, allegedly, in the goings-on at this nomination meeting. Uh, but, no, I wasn't aware of these emails. It's fascinating. We The emails, uh, they, they said that Patrick Brown basically instructed uh, his two top uh, officials with the party, that's uh, Rick Dykstra, the former president, and Bob Stanley, the former uh, executive director of the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario, to get me the results I want and um, you can take that any way you want, although Patrick Brown has suggested that there was nothing untoward implied by that statement. So in the state of the criminal investigation and, of course, all that we've learned uh, and heard in, in the media in recent weeks since he first stepped down as leader, what, if, from your perspective as someone who's followed the minutiae of this far more closely than most, are kind of the outstanding questions, both as it relates to the investigation and the now dropped lawsuits. Yeah, let's let's dive into the shenanigans, alleged shenanigans, for a minute here, because there is still an ongoing police investigation, even if the two civil suits this uh, nomination meeting spawned have been dropped. So, first of all, these allegations emerged because one ballot box in particular on the night of May seventh at Ancaster High School seemed to be overloaded with ballots favoring one of four candidates in particular. Basically, basically, 
The ballot box at the credentials desk, where voters are directed if their ID or membership is challenged, uh, apparently yielded 202 ballots for Levitt. That's Ben Levitt, the victor. Uh, 25-year-old Ben Levitt, who is and maybe maybe was and maybe still is a staffer at MP David Sweet's office. And that ballot box yielded 139 uh, for the three other candidates combined, according to court filings. Uh, so that means that Levitt supposedly garnered 45% more ballots in his favor uh, than all three candidates combined at this one credentials table ballot box, whereas the seven other ballot boxes combined uh, contained f- about 425 or so votes for Levitt and more than 1,000 for all the other three candidates in total, which meant that they received 250% more than Levitt at these other booths combined. So you can see that that glaring disparity. The question is, why did this one table that was overseen by uh, a, a PC party staffer who was named in the lawsuit, Logan Bugasia, uh, Bob Stanley, the executive director, was there as well that night. Why did it have such uh, a disproportionate number of, of ballots in favor of the uh, the one candidate? Uh, that hasn't been resolved concretely. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I sh- I, sorry, I should just mention that that also would suggest, based on the number of ballots in this one credentials box, this one ballot box, that a ballot was cast once Every 25 seconds within a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour time frame, mm-hmm. that is an exceptionally fast rate. <laughs> You're not kidding. Uh, Anyone who's ever voted knows nothing goes that quickly. No, let me Precisely. ask you. Let me ask you, at that time, and you did the story, what was the official answer to that? Yes, the official answer was that nothing untoward had occurred, that the appearance of any irregularities would likely be attributed just to the bubbling over of enthusiasm, the surge in energy uh, that was coming from the PC party grassroots, which resulted in more memberships, more people signing up for the party, and uh, nomination meetings being a little overloaded and overwhelmed by the number of uh, uh, enthusiastic supporters of various candidates. But the response from the PC party is that there's nothing wrong here. Also, uh, in a court filing, in June, I believe it was, Rick Dykstra, then party president, stepped aside this year uh, over allegations of sexual misconduct that he denies, unrelated. He said in an affidavit that the nomination meetings are merely a recommendation to the leader, that effectively voiding uh, any idea of democratic election that nomination meetings would suggest, and he cited party rules that were amended since Patrick Brown came into the leadership of the PC party in 2015 to back up his claim that nomination meetings are not decisive, but merely suggestions to the leader. Here we are, and Jamie, I'm throwing it over to you to look at this. I mean, we've heard rumblings within the Liberal Party. Um, Democracy is being put really under the crosshairs here as we move forward in these nominations and the integrity of them. There's a pattern here, and it's within one party and also other parties. That's, yeah, I think that, you've definitely seen controversies and nominations going back since the beginning of essentially mm-hmm. modern political parties. I think one of the things that stands out on this one for me is, uh, A, there is a criminal investigation 
and B, the interim leader, Vic Fideli, has actually overturned and reopened two nomination races in the ridings elsewhere yeah. around the province uh, as a result of allegations that have come forward and the wrongdoing that he has found with enough grounds to go forward. And for the record, I also saw last week or a couple of weeks ago now that Ben Lovett, the successful candidate here in this Hamilton riding, had actually called for that race to be open too so that he could win and not have the candidate descend. Not so that he could win, but have it reopened so that there can be no doubt that any wrongdoing had taken place. All right, Christopher, yeah, how do you feel? Again, you know, we when you heard Patrick Brown was originally resigning and then now he's back out of the race, considering the story that you've had your nose to the ground on, what are you thinking as you react to this? Well, one thing that's kind of remarkable is that the incident that prompted his initial resignation, allegations from two women that Patrick Brown behaved inappropriately uh, yeah. and perhaps was involved in sexual misconduct toward them when they were uh, teenagers and, and were drunk, one of them being his former employee. Though Those have now almost receded into the background, it seems like, those allegations. Uh, since then... The knives mm-hmm. have really come out from within the party over um, over nomination controversy and over what interim leader Vic Fideli called uh, uh, the rot within the party membership. There have also been allegations, of course, about Patrick Brown's uh, supposedly undisclosed alternate sources of income and around, quote, lavish expenses paid trips uh, that he did not tell the integrity commissioner about. These are allegations from MPP Randy Hillier that have spawned uh, an integrity commissioner's investigation now, we confirmed just today. So uh, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to keep it keep all these controversies and strands in, in one's head, but it certainly seems like it's just an overwhelming amount of uh, antagonism for one would-be premier to, to overcome. Yeah, it's true, Jamie. It really is, as we're talking here and we're and Christopher's listing it, there is a lot going on, lest we say, with a man called Patrick Brown. One wonders how far upstream he is uh, without a paddle at this point. <laughs> All right. Uh, that is a perfect segue to thank our guest for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you, Christopher Reynolds. Congratulations. Here we go. Your story has legs. Thank you so much, both of you. Great to have Christopher, Jamie. And as I was listening to him, you know, I really thought there really are still a lot of unanswered questions. First of all, for Patrick Brown, he is not out of the water. And also, I think that we should talk about how does this affect the race and how does this affect every individual campaign? Because you bet it does. First of all, what do we still need to know from Patrick? He's walked out. He's resigned. Number two, he's not coming back. What's going to dog him in the days ahead? Well, first off, I think is going to be the integrity commissioner's investigation. Uh, Rick, as we mentioned off the top of the show, uh, Rick Hilliard has kind of tabled some rather uh, compelling information as to warrant the investigation uh, about undeclared income and other things that might be affecting uh, Patrick Brown's personal finances. Of course, there will also be questions uh, given he is part of his defense in terms of denying those allegations already as saying that the party paid for some of those international travels. So I think members will have questions in terms of how party dollars were being spent. In addition to that, of course, we have this Hamilton police investigation, and it'll be remains to be seen whether or not charges 
will be laid. But in terms of what party members are going to be looking for from other leadership candidates as it relates to how the party operates and how the party reports memberships and fundraising and that kind of stuff on an ongoing basis to ensure that party members have confidence in the democratic process. I think that's going to be something that leadership candidates are going to have to respond to this week. You got it. I mean, they're going to have to fill the holes here and be the candidate that Patrick Brown wasn't. Here's one more thing I want to see. He kind of sounds like he is still going to run And Barry, my advice, if he is listening to the podcast, is I don't think he should. How can you not still be a distraction for this party if you are running in this election? It's too much, too many fronts. I think he's got to help a new candidate. I know he's a little bit unclear. That's my advice. Yeah, and I think one of the other interesting things about this too, Arlene, in the politics of the leadership race is there are still obviously a a sizable minority uh, of the party that are Patrick Brown supporters and how they vote in this process. And also, if you, as the party pivots to the general election after this March 10 leadership vote, I think the party is going to have to demonstrate with credibility to the electorate at large that they are indeed up to the task of governing mm-hmm. and that this Patrick Brown affair has indeed been put behind them. And I think there's going to have to be a bit more transparency than perhaps we're used to seeing in politics on how the party manages itself. And that's what I mean. I just can't see how he's going to run. He's always going to be there. So if all the candidates have to say, oh, we got rid of the rot. It's not there. Don't worry. We're up for this job. I I just don't see how he can still be in orbit. Do you think Christine Elliott is the best suited to pick up his supporters, as we talked about on the last podcast and we've been chatting the last little while? She's the only one who really hasn't rolled up her sleeves and slugged anybody supporting him. Yeah, Christine Elliott's response on pretty much anything in this leadership campaign has been that she has the experience and the character and the integrity to unite and lead the party into the June 7 election. And so whether it's talking about policies, whether it's talking about professional backgrounds or talking about other candidates in this leadership race, she's kind of delivering the same message over and over again. Obviously, Tanya Granick-Allen has probably been more vocal uh, in the early days of this leadership Mm -hmm. campaign, uh, representing grassroots grievances about operations and nominations. But we also saw Doug Ford and Caroline Mulrooney come out rather strong when he first came into the race, telling him that he shouldn't be in there. And then again on Friday, Caroline Mulrooney held a news conference Mm -hmm. specifically to tell Patrick Brown to get out of the race. So in terms of where their supporters go, I I don't think you're going to see a formal endorsement of Christine Elliott in this regard. But uh, I definitely think she probably politically stands to benefit from some of this as uh, the consensus uniter in this process. And finally, I just I know I'm harping on the effect that he has. There could be more stories. Do we not know? Let us hope for his sake and the party's sake that there are no more stories connected to Patrick Brown because it could dog them as they get into this election campaign. Absolutely. I think if anything else does come out, it will lessen the likelihood that he will indeed be the candidates, uh, the party's candidate in Barrie, which in and of itself right now is far from a certain thing. You got it. Anything can happen. That is one thing we certainly know in this race. And he is without a paddle. And we know the first part of that. I'm Arlene Bynum. I'm Jamie Ellerton. And this has been Buy a Dog, the podcast. So if you found us so far, you've been on SoundCloud, but if you want to subscribe, the Buy a Dog podcast is now in the Google Play Store. It's on iTunes and in all the other major podcast directories. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at Buy a Dog Podcast and on Facebook 
facebook.com slash buy a dog podcast.